everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. Um, welcome, everybody. My name is Jonathan. If you're glad to be in church today and it's Roundup, would you say yee-haw? If you're glad to be in church today, would you say woohoo? You've been handed a little tic-tac-toe. Just uh, raise your hand if you didn't get a little sheet of paper, and the ushers will try to get you one. Okay, good. I, I would like you to participate in a little exercise, if you would. Oh, man, I didn't come to church to do anything. I'd like you to do this one thing, would you? And that is a little exercise about where you live, your neighborhood, okay? And I know this is not going to work out perfectly um, because Jessica lives in an apartment and the Mayhews live out in the boonies and it, it doesn't look exactly like your neighborhood. Behind us in our house is a, is a marsh uh, I think very few people live there in that marsh. Um, but would you try to fill out in that tic-tac-toe, and uh, uh, Liz, just put that on the screen, what I'm asking people to do on that tic-tac-toe there. I'd like you to put as much as you can do, the, the names of the people around you. Um, if you can, something about that person, that's their second assignment, B, is like maybe where they work or how many kids they have. Or, and then the third thing is harder, anything of depth that you might know about them, their dreams, their needs, their desires, their fears, their spiritual journey. And so this is hard, right? But just see how much you can fill in on your neighborhood. And so keep working at that while I talk, but this may be the most important thing you do all day today, okay? So just keep working on that, and I will um, fill in the space for a bit while you keep working. We're trying to celebrate something different than just conversions. Conversions are gr great. We're, we're aiming for that, but, but there's these steps along the way. Um, Beginning with prayer, eating with somebody, uh, talking to your neighbor who you've never talked about, listening to their story, telling a bit of your story, telling a bit of God's story. Um, I don't suppose anybody would share just a little two-minute story of how they have exercised bells this week. Um, okay, okay, Lori, all the way from Lindsay. Come here. Okay, I was voluntold by my husband. So. <laughs> Um, hello, so we recently moved to Lindsay, for those of you who may not know or have been around, and uh, something that was on my heart to do was to, um, I just mean, I love seeing all you guys, um, was to, uh, well, be intentional with where we were living, and I was really nervous about it, but I wanted to do a street barbecue, so we moved onto this lovely street, I don't know, 50 houses or something, and uh, we made these little invitations, and the kids delivered all the invites to everybody's mailboxes and sort of, you know, prayed about this, and I was super nervous, and fear was kind of speaking to me, like, what if nobody shows up? This is kind of lame, whatever. We had, like, 40 people come. <laughs> it was awesome. Probably wow. half of the, wow. the homes on our street. We just mingled and chatted and said, 
hey, we're the Jolicoeur family, we're new, and people brought gifts, and we're opening up, and this one woman, she was like, you know, I recently lost my husband, and he was the one who used to barbecue, so I'm so glad I got to come, and we're like, let's make her another burger, like, wow. you know, just things like that, so um, that was really our heart to be intentional, and um, it's been such a blessing so far, and uh, if you ever have thoughts like that, just step out in faith. Here, You'll be here. surprised. Amen. Thank you, Lori. That was amazing. Just... So, Lori, go hang a bell now, okay? And uh, it's great to hear that we have lost our best missionaries to Lindsay, isn't it? Okay. No, proud of you um, guys. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So are you still working on your tic-tac-toe home thing? I won't ask you to raise hands because here's the, here's the stats. Typically, 10%, 1 in 10, can do all of part one. 1 in 10 know all their neighbors by name. Um, typically, 3% can do all of part B, where they know something about their neighbor. Under 1% of those polled can do all of part three, where they know something of depth about their neighbor. So I'm wondering if you would consider putting that on your fridge or in your purse or somewhere significant, and maybe even by the end of the series, you'll be able to fill that entirely. I, I think this is an important piece. And I, I realize how ironic or hypocritical it is that I'm the guy who's talking about this. I'm not good at this. Um, there are people in this room who are good at neighboring. Um, and so what I'm going to ask you is going to sound like a rhetorical question, but what if we were to take the great commandment literally and seriously? Here's what Jesus said when asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God. <clears throat> with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, it's not hard to love someone in theory, right? Like, like you singles, you know, when you're, when you're flipping through Tinder or Bumble or uh, OkCupid or Christian Mingle. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you guys... Uh, and, and you see someone, and you're like, ooh, I could love that guy forever. <laughs> and you haven't yet heard him snore. You haven't smelled his coffee breath. You haven't found out what a mama's boy he is. It's all theoretical. For instance, um, I feel a great love for the Cambodian people. Both Vicky and I have had the privilege of, on two different trips, to go there, minister to some of the most vulnerable People, kids mostly. And uh, I can tell you something, though. It's actually very easy to love the orphan, the underdog, the victimized. It's easy to love kids who seem to have boundless, unconditional love and affection for you. It's easy to have a theological, theoretical, philosophical love for our neighbor. But I assure you, Jesus' love is not theoretical. It is practical. It is relational. It is tangible. It is in the trenches of day-to-day, down-and-dirty life. And with God, we can 
know him and be known by him, the God who formed us in our mother's womb, who's counted the very hairs on our head, who incarnated himself, moved into our neighborhood, came as a man to relate to us, even suffer like us, sympathize with us. And what I'm suggesting is maybe obvious, but a good reminder, I'm suggesting that maybe it's not possible to really love someone if you don't even know their name. It becomes less theoretical dare I say, less appealing to love your neighbor across the street when their lawn is an eyesore, right? When there's these toddlers of one of your neighbors who are out of control, when it seems that one house has parents who are never home and the teenagers are there and you can smell weed coming out of the window and Drake at midnight and you debate whether you should call the police and then someone took your recycle bin and someone's yappy dog is left outside all the time. That's actually probably us in our neighborhood. <laughs> or have you ever wondered about that seemingly invisible family that lives in your neighborhood? They, they don't seem to have an interest in even being neighborly. Like the mom is in the minivan all the time and seems to have... Uh, endless amount of kids she's carting around. You're not even sure how many. She's off to karate and dance and hockey, and you only know that based on the uniforms that the kids are wearing. And there's dad. He, he, you know the truck he drives. He pulls out of the garage every morning at 6.30, and he's already inside the vehicle. And then every night around 7, he drives in, shuts the door inside the house without a trace. And even as I say that, I think, am I that guy in my neighborhood? except for the 6.30 a.m. part. That's, come on, that's too early, guys. <laughs> what about the guy in his late 30s who seems to be living with his parents and you're not sure if he does anything around the house either? Maybe some of you have even experienced something more serious. You hear fighting next door. You're wondering if, if somebody's being hit and... You wonder if something is illegal going on across the street. And I'm not suggesting that loving your neighbor means ignoring any of these things. Each situation is actually going to require you to be wise and offer a different response. What I'm trying to point out here is that loving your neighbor isn't theoretical or hypothetical. It's hard. And we tend to make assumptions about the neighbor with the unkempt yard. But I wonder if it's those very assumptions that keep us from really knowing them, befriending them. What if, what if things could be different, though? What if we took the time to get to know the people next to us? We discovered that they're not so menacing after all. Maybe they're a lot like us, in fact. They go to work. They want to hang out with their kids. They put their pants on one leg at a time. At the end of the day, they, they long to be known and to know. They long to be cared for and accepted and to do something meaningful with their life, something that matters. I wonder what good things might happen if we truly got to know the people in our neighborhood. Oh, these are the people in your neighborhood. Certain generation, maybe. 
And I wonder if especially lifelong Christians have become a bit inoculated to the great commandment. Oh, yeah, yeah, love God, love others. I got that. That's Christianity 101. But are we doing it? See, the power and the genius of the great commandment is that it's so simple and yet so powerful when it's acted on. You know, not mentally assented to, not theologically agreed upon, but acted on. And you say, oh, I can't love everyone. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the margin. And you're right. You know, when you try to um, know everyone, love everyone, maybe you end up loving no one. And if we aren't careful, we can end up having this hypothetical love for our hypothetical neighbor and end up doing nothing. But I would say neighboring matters. And it might just be the best way to impact the people in our community. And you know, we have lots of good programs at our church. Lots of things that you can invite people to and that's going to minister to them and is going to meet tangible needs. But a good neighbor trumps a good program every time. People are not drawn to programs. People are drawn to people. And you do realize that especially those of you who have traveled extensively, know that the way we live in Canada is not the way the majority of the world lives, sort of in isolation, leaving their garage early, coming back in, and not being in community. And it's not the way God lives. Before there was even form and void, God lived in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, modeling relationship, modeling unity. You know, in Luke 10, Jesus tells us the greatest law is to love God and love others. And then he immediately jumps into a story. It's, it's the story of the Good Samaritan, and it's not a coincidence that he jumps into that. And Jesus ends by answering the question, well, who is my neighbor? He expands the definition of neighbor, and he, he informs us that it's anyone in need who is nearby. Anyone who is in need, who is nearby. So the Samaritan meets the physical and the financial and the emotional needs of this man in his path. Our neighbors are those who are in our path on a daily basis. So what investment does God expect you to make in my neighbor? What sort of love, what sort of sacrifice, what sort of service? And of course, the actual definition of of neighbor in this parable is much bigger than the people living on your street. In fact, it includes our enemies. But it's really hard to love our enemy when we can't even love the people who live next door. And it's really hard to love the people next door when we don't know jack about them. So before you all roll your eyes and say, yeah, Christianity 101, I, I got this. Maybe we'd go back to the basics of this and and make sure we can do the entry-level Christianity 101 stuff before we jump to the graduate-level stuff. And I'm going to keep coming back to this idea in this series that God has wired you in a unique way, that you're not to be someone you're not. Introvert, extrovert, Enneagram 1, Enneagram 7. God is not asking you to have all the answers or go to seminary. 
fact, he's just asking you, one, to be your genuine self. And no disrespect to salesmen in the room. I'm sure there are some. Um, but you don't need to be God's salesman. Um, share good news, yes, but sell God? No, you don't have to. In fact, just shout them out to me. What are some characteristics of, of a salesperson that makes you suspicious or uncomfortable? Is there any... What? Pushy. Yeah, you don't need to be that. Aggressive. Yes. <laughs> a little inauthentic. Yeah. Any, any else? Too good to be true. It's like you get the feeling they have to fulfill a quota or that you're being used somehow or being pressured. ABC, always be closing, you know? That this is more packaged than it is personal, that there's something disingenuous about it. And, you know, when did Christ ever send his followers out to share anything than what they had already discovered? In other words, he always told people to go and share what he had done for them. That's it. Their actual experience. Nothing more, nothing less. And even our verse from last week, which is often used as like the big guilt verse from 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and, ex- and respect. So what do we share? We share hope. Whose hope? The hope that lies within you. Not a pamphlet, not a prepared set of arguments. Sharing the hope that lies within you. L, listening to others. S, story. Sharing the stories. Uh, inviting people to consider what you have already discovered. So let me just give you permission from your pastor to stop selling a product, but rather to share a person. Some of you may think your lives are too much of a mess. Let me just assure you, your life is a mess. (laughs) And my life is a mess. But if God is at work, we can still love people in the midst of it. You know, when someone is, is, say, remodeling their home, they're still a neighbor. You know, when God is remodeling your life, you are still a neighbor. You can still show love. And Paul prays that God would give us many opportunities to speak and that those who who get this Christ life would live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Seeking opportunities, not imposing, not forcing, but having your eyes open to the many opportunities to love a neighbor, to be a source of light in a dark place. Paul speaks of our conversation with people, one that is is gracious and respectful. Might we become those who offer spiritual companionship and conversation and, and maybe even challenge Make the most of opportunities. You don't control the opportunities, but you respond accordingly. And that includes the fact that you don't, res- you don't control the receptivity of your neighbors. So you got to expect different responses. Realize that some are going to be much more responsive. God has always worked with responsive people. Jesus worked with 
the responsiveness of people. He chose 12, and clearly it wasn't based on their sophistication or their initial leadership skills as much as it was their responsiveness. When he called them to follow, they threw down their nets and they responded. And then at times he chose a certain three to share even more with. Well, not surprisingly, when Jesus sent out 70 followers to spread good news, he told them to look for those who were receptive and, and to stay there. He spoke of finding people of peace, people who might be ready to receive. Here's how the message translation puts Luke 10. When you enter a home, greet the family, peace. If your greeting is received, then it's a good place to say, but if not received, don't impose yourself. You're looking for people who reflect peace in the neighborhood, receptive people. And God doesn't ask us to force ourselves on anybody, to, to, to bait and switch anybody. In fact, I'd encourage you to look at it this way, that good neighboring is an end in and of itself. Now, let me be clear. We believe that Jesus answers the ultimate questions of, of life. He offers the ultimate answers for our cities, for our neighborhoods. You know, when I go to a place like Cambodia, I think, oh, man, what they need is uh, fair democratic elections. What they need is better infrastructure and all kinds of social reform. But, you know, Canada has all of that. And it turns out what Canadians really need is Jesus. And so our hope, our vision, our desire, our, our dream is that everyone, everyone would have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. So sharing the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives is the right motive, but it, it can't be the ulterior motive in developing relationships. Does that make sense? Like, in other words, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we have been converted. Um, loving will lead to what is loving. It doesn't need to be defined by a particular outcome. And so, be as patient as God is patient. Neighboring is not an event. It's not a one-and-done deal. It's a way of, of living in a place. It's a way of being. And so keep in mind that our bodies change slowly. Our, our family grows over time. The culture of a church takes years. Um, things take time, and developing our life with neighbors takes time. So don't don't have a short-term mentality, but use the time you have. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I'd also say, as patient as you should be, I'd, I'd encourage you to be intentional. Be intentional. Growing as a good neighbor, a God neighbor, it involves you being intentional. Most of us realize um, when we haven't gotten to know our neighbors like we could have, it's not like we decided not to know our neighbors. We just never got serious about it. We just never got intentional about it. So, yes, be patient, but also be intentional. Embrace neighboring as a verb, an action word, you know, not a stagnant noun. And I'll repeat this tip from a few weeks ago. 
People who are often open to relational connection are those in the midst of turmoil or transition. I think Lori uh, did that well. We're the new people in town, you know? Let's have a barbecue. Let's have conversation. And so when people are going through change, moving, job change, aging parents, marriage, new new babies, people are often more open, curious, receptive. They're also during life's turmoil, sickness and uh, financial issues and death and relational brokenness, people are often more conscious of our common humanity and, and can reflect in openness. And I've said it before, but the people who I meet at an altar just like this, who are ready to give their life to God, ready to make a decision for Jesus, are never people who come and say, yeah, I just got promoted and won the lottery and I married a supermodel and I really wanted to try this Jesus thing. No, it's people who have come to the end of themselves, people who are hurting and addicted and broken. So wait, are you exploiting their life circumstances? No, we're throwing them a lifeline. And I assure you, no one can be saved who doesn't think they need saving from anything. It's why, on the surface at least, ministering in Canada, maybe particularly in the GTA, it it can be so difficult. How do you talk about a savior when people think they have it all together, when they don't think they need saving from anything? And so, in that sense, I'm actually grateful Aren't you that God uses the, the lowest moments, our trials, our, our heartache, if for no other reason to reveal our insufficiency, our lack, our inadequacy, how destitute we really are? You know, I talked to someone in Newmarket not that long ago, raised in the church, but now identifying closer to atheism. And one of the many annoyances they had with Christianity was this posture of brokenness, you know, of needing something beyond ourselves. And they quoted different song lyrics. They're like, you are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me, really? Or I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, and still you give yourself away. And I understand their inclination, you know, especially for an independent, strong-willed person who, who doesn't want to be subservient to anyone. But... I thought, you know, if it hasn't come yet, there's going to come a time in this young person's life where they will come to the end of themselves, to the end of their intellect and their confidence and their assuredness when they realize that they don't have all the answers and they can't fix it themselves and that there is a deep longing that is unfulfilled. And so coming to that place, you know, our friends at AA might call it rock bottom is such a freeing place, knowing there, there is rescue, knowing that, that you can't save yourself, knowing there is one who is just waiting for an invitation where you can cry out, Jesus, Hosanna. Hosanna means the one who saves. Lord, bring us to a place in our lives, in our church, where we hit rock bottom, you know, for what? profited man 
to gain the whole world but lose their soul. So finally, let, let our neighboring be an extension of our prayer. Be. Begin with prayer. And people come to know God because of God, not because of us, right? So while, you know, we do our part as ambassadors and messengers, God's got to do his part. He does the biggest part. He is the one who saves. So the truest love for our neighbor is going to flow from God and with God, and therefore it's going to flow out of our prayer. We live in this, in this intersection between two kingdoms, don't we? Like the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, and we, we relate to both. And so Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And his model of prayer was directed to the Father in the heavenly realm. And he asked, let your kingdom come on where? Earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, let your kingdom come in Bradford and in Keswick and in Aurora and in Holland Landing and in Richmond Hill and in Newmarket. Let me close with this example of what this can look like. This is a true story. There was a man, he had no interest in spiritual matters. Um, he related casually to this Christian who lived next door. They talked over the fence, borrowed lawnmowers, stuff like that. But then the non-Christian's wife was stricken with cancer, and she died three months later. Now here's a part of a letter that he wrote afterwards. Let me read it. He says, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. And after the service, I went to, the, to this path along the river, and I walked all night. But I didn't walk alone. My Christian neighbor, I think he was afraid for me, afraid of what I might do to myself. He stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. And when the, fun, when the sun finally came up over the river, he just came over and said, let's go get some breakfast. I go to church now, my neighbor's church, a religion that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. Our friend Bob Goff says, there's no school to learn how to love your neighbor. There's just the house next door. If you are here today and you want to be loved like that for the rest of your life, I can't promise that we as a church will do that perfectly. In fact, we're going to try, but I suspect we'll, we'll let you down. But there is one, Jesus. And he can love you perfectly. He's the one who will never leave you or forsake you. He's the one who is, who is calling you out of darkness today. He's the one who can make the old new. The one who wants to call you a citizen of heaven. And so for those today buried beneath a weight of shame, Jesus changes everything. He really does.